The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with this week's skid in stocks, continuing on the back of the Fed signal that further rate hikes lay ahead. Futures uh, moving slightly higher ahead of the jobs report coming up later on this morning. All right, investors now bracing for the monthly jobs report. As I mentioned, we preview what to expect and what the data may mean for the central bank's rate hike strategy. We're moving forward with more of this. Also, slashing staff. Elon Musk formally begins layoffs at Twitter as more companies that kind of hit the pause on advertising on the social platform. And the Biden administration also doubling down on its plan to combat China and the semi-space. And last, but certainly not least, your big money movers this morning, including Starbucks, bypassing the double drag of China and inflation to report some solid results. It's Friday, November the 4th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Collin for Brian Sullivan. I hope your Friday morning, wherever in the world you are, is getting off to a good start. Let's kick off this hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures, as I mentioned, ticking slightly higher this morning. Right now, it looks like the Dow could open up as much as 100 points higher at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq also in the green ahead of that uh, monthly jobs report. We also want to get a check on the bond market. The 10-year yield currently well above that key 4% level. We're seeing right now at 4.131. Almost as important right here, we're seeing the two-year note yield at 4.74, highest level since July of 2007. We also want to pay attention to energy, of course. That's also moving higher this morning. We're seeing oil prices above 90 bucks a barrel. WTI above 90 bucks a barrel right now, up almost 2.5%. Brett crude basically at 96 bucks a barrel. And last but not least, in this case, cryptocurrency. Bitcoin right now still above that key 20,000 mark. Right now at about... Uh, 20,600, up a percent and a half. Ether and XRP moving much higher to the upside. You see right here, XRP up nearly 6%, ticking just higher right now as you see me circle it. All right, now we want to go worldwide with Arabile Goumide. He has a look at the overnight action in Asia and the early trade in Europe from our London newsroom. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So, yep, markets are a little bit mixed out in Asia to begin the day. We did see the Hang Seng out in Hong Kong, however, gain quite a bit there. Chinese rules seem to be, uh, Chinese rumors seem to be that we may even see an opening up of that economy. So that's boosted a few of the markets out, uh, particularly then, of course, the chip makers seeing some sense of positivity there. So we are expecting that that market will continue to move higher. So some green is certainly the mix there. We're also taking a look then at the European markets, which is mostly high. Of course, this does follow from the Bank of England's decision just yesterday where they decided to hike interest rates by 75 basis points. But you could see a recession of the longest caliber since records have ever been introduced for uh, UK. That's according to the Bank of England's uh, governor, Andrew Bailey, saying that things are tight, including the labor market, 
which is tight. Growth is still expected to drop off by around three quarters of a percentage point this year alone, with the longest recession set to happen for around five quarters, headed straight into 2024 then. And of course, you still have the energy crisis, which continues to linger. So the FTSE 100 is, however, up more than 1% today. And of course, it has been a busy week. Central banks, but also on the earnings front, of course, and it does follow through uh, from the market picture from the Fed. Plus, you have that October jobs report, which is expected later today. 205,000 jobs expected in the month of October. Unemployment, 3.5% in the U.S. All right, Arabile, we appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of anticipation about that October jobs report. We appreciate that report. All right, let's get a check on your morning's top stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Elon Musk formally kicking off a highly anticipated series of layoffs one week after completing his $44 billion deal for the social media platform. In an email obtained by NBC News, Twitter employees were informed that the job cuts would begin today. The note told staff they will get notices either through their company email accounts if they still have jobs or their personal email accounts if their employment is impacted. And Bloomberg is reporting that Twitter is now facing a lawsuit over the layoffs, with workers arguing the company is doing so without enough notice in violation of both federal and California law. And Tiger Global Management is reportedly hitting pause on new investment in China. According to The Wall Street Journal, the firm, which has been a longtime investor in the country, is reevaluating its exposure to China in the wake of President Xi Jinping's recent re-election. The journal says Tiger executives have told others she's cementing his power further could increase geopolitical tensions and mean the country's zero-COVID policy will continue. And Warner Brothers Discovery is speeding up the launch of its combined HBO Max Discovery Plus streaming service. Speaking on the company's earnings call, CEO David Zaslav said the the untitled service would be available in the U.S. this spring. That's earlier than the original summer launch. Shares of Warner Brothers Discovery are lower on the back of third quarter results, with revenue missing analyst expectations as the company grapples with post-merger restructuring costs and a tougher advertising environment. Frank? Yeah, it's all exciting, Pippa. I'm waiting for that next season of Succession. I just want them to announce that. Once we get that out there, I'm going to be happier. Pippa Stevens, we'll see you later on the show. All right, back to the markets. The stocks come off a fourth consecutive negative session. All three averages on pace for some sizable losses this week. You can see the chart right here. The Dow down more than 2.5%. The S&P down over 4.5%. The Nasdaq down nearly 7%. Investors turning their attention to today's October jobs report and the potential clues On the Fed's thinking on its rate hike strategy, economists expecting a gain of 205,000 jobs with the unemployment rate holding steady at 3.5 percent. For much more on this, let's bring in Robert Teeter, Managing Director and Head of Investment Policy and Strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, great to have you here. Thank you. Good morning. All right. So I think the big question for everybody who sits in a position like yourself, after what we heard from Jay Powell, the fact that rates could eventually end up higher than previously expected, is it changing how you're managing your portfolio? It's starting to make a change a bit, at least in terms of the short-term outlook. I think around this level of of rates, we're starting to hit a bit of a danger zone. So typically when you get uh, the 10-year over 4%, that starts to put some significant pressure on valuations. When you get these periods where Fed funds and the 10-year are converging, that starts to put some pressure on valuations. So I think in the short term, uh, we definitely face a bit of a choppy market here. The potential good news is that we have two CPI reports between now and the next Fed meeting. Uh, So perhaps we get some progress there because that appears to be what is needed in order for the Fed to make a change in how they're communicating policy is some clear, substantial evidence of improvement in inflation. 
Yes, generally, uh, the, you know, the general wisdom here is that those two inflation reports can have a big impact on the Fed's decision. Um, looking right now at the futures, higher this morning, even though we're expecting unemployment to stay the same and some pretty big job gains. What's the market seeing that's making the futures go higher this morning ahead of this report that, in theory, is going to be, quote unquote, good, which would be bad for anybody that wants to see a pause or a pivot? Yeah, it has been a very uh, confusing time with a lot of conflicting messages. I think one of the pieces of good news that's good news on the job market, at least in my opinion, is that it buys the Fed a bit more time to solve inflation uh, before recessionary conditions emerge. So you are seeing some weaknesses in some parts of the economy. But overall, uh, the economy continues to grow, albeit at a slow rate. And as you noted, uh, the jobs market continues to be very strong. And so I think that buys a bit of time for some of these inflation numbers to improve. So uh, while they're not helping the inflation conditions by a strong job market, it's buying time for the for the rate hikes to work their way through and for conditions to ease normally, uh, given that some of the reasons behind inflation uh, had perhaps been caused by some of the problems in the pandemic. So uh, we think it's good news that there's uh, j- a strong job market buying some time for the Fed to solve inflation. Wait, you think a strong job market buys time for the Fed? Because if the job market remains strong, um, doesn't that actually kind of keep the Fed on its course? It says it wants to get inflation down to 2 percent. Last read was 8 percent, a long way to go. Doesn't a strong jobs report actually make it more likely we might see that 75 basis point hike in December as opposed to the 50 basis point hike? Sure, it, it does. And that's certainly what the what the Fed chair has been communicating in terms of uh, what they're reacting to, and that certainly they would like to see a bit of a softer economy. And while they probably wouldn't say it this way, they would like to see a bit of a softer job market as well. Uh, so you're absolutely right in, in terms of uh, that take and that interpretation. And I and I think that's correct. Uh, you know, what I'm referencing is that each and every CPI report that we get is a, is a chance for those numbers to come down a bit. Some of the things below the surface in CPI have been improving. So out of the last three reports, I think two of them have been decent and, and one is, was not so great. And so we'll see what the next two unfold. So if we get through the next two CPI reports with some progress on CPI uh, and the job market being, let's call it stable, that's probably the way to thread the needle in terms of uh, markets going forward. Well, I think it says a lot that you said you're trying to get through the next two inflation reports. Uh, wow, what, a, what an economy, what a stock market right now when the inflation reports have that big of an impact. Robert Teeter, great to see you. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. All right, when we come back, the morning's big money movers, including investors showing a real appetite for one food delivery company, plus shares of Expedia getting a pop on the back of its quarterly results, with the numbers may signal about the overall travel sector and the stocks that have the potential to take off and restaurants remaining resilient in the face of continued inflation. But can the sector and its customers continue to keep up with the heightened prices? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
Positively FedEx. All right, it's time now for your big money movers. First stock up is Block. You see shares are up more than 13%. After the parent company of Square reported third quarter results, their really top forecast gross profit, which analysts look at as a gauge of top line performance, also coming in above expectations thanks to the strength in the company Square and its cash app businesses. Stock two, Twilio. You see it's down big this morning. Double Digits is the maker of customer engagement technology, posted a smaller loss than expected in the third quarter. Revenue also be forecast. However, Twilio is projecting fourth quarter revenue below analyst estimates. These shares, they're down more than 80% so far this year. All right, stock three is DoorDash. The food delivery company's third quarter revenue handily beating forecasts. Total orders surging to a record high as demand for takeout holds up against higher prices and inflation. DoorDash does say it's starting to see an impact from people buying fewer items each time they order as they worry about a recession. Shares up more than 11%. DoorDash CEO Tony Hsu will be on Squawk Box in a first on CNBC interview at 8.15 a.m. Eastern this morning. And finally, Expedia, third quarter profit and revenue beating forecasts. Although gross bookings fell short of estimates, the online travel company says it was another period of robust demand despite uncertainty about the economy. You see shares are up about 2.5%. Expedia CEO Peter Kern will be on Tech Check in a first on CNBC interview at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. All right, let's dive into Expedia's results and the outlook for the travel space as a whole. Joining me now is Richard Clark, senior analyst at A.B. Bernstein. Richard, good morning. Good morning. All right, let's just talk about some of the results we've seen. Marriott, Airbnb, booking. What are all these results telling you about travel demand going forward? Of course, we know quarterly results are backwards looking, but what are we seeing in this key holiday quarter? Yeah, so we're seeing robust demand. Um, so we've seen um, a few of the companies talk about how we're looking into the festive period. Hyatt, for example, said their leisure demand into the festive period um, is up 30 percent on 2019. And we got a little bit of an early look into 2023. And again, they're saying there's there's robust demand into uh, into 2023. So right now, for most of the big cap stocks we've here, we're not hearing any negativity, any signs of training down, shorter trips going down through the star ratings. It, it just looks robust at the moment. All right. So robust is obviously good if you're in the travel sector. Um, We heard these results. We heard the calls. We saw some beats and some raises. So some really encouraging signs, at least how these businesses feel about things. But as we see rising rates, inflation continuing to be high. What is your outlook? I mean, obviously, people are kind of probably locked in for the holiday season. They want to see their families. They want to see their friends. They want to go places after three years of lockdowns at various degrees all around the world. But beyond that, what's the outlook look like? Yeah, look, I think we've got um, a, a, a good good confidence that we're going to see strong demand, I think, you know, for at least maybe another nine to 12 months. There's still high saving rates. Employment levels are still high. And there's still a, 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 a remix of spend away from goods into services. So, so consumers want to travel. They want to spend money on this. Now, travel historically has been cyclical uh, and, and it is a discretionary item. And I think if the economy stays weak, uh, inflation stays high, eventually this is going to be, be hit. But I think for travel, we maybe have a stay of execution for 12 months. And we just have to see how the macro environment is as we get into next summer and beyond. So when you look at these different uh, companies that offer you know, hospitality, whether it be Airbnb, which is obviously a platform, as well as booking holdings, and then you have uh, straight up pure play hotel chains like Marriott, Hyatt, Accor, which one of you, these do you think is best suited to kind of uh, overperform as we go forward with rising rates, inflation and things like that? 
Well, I would say that what we've probably seen as a trend during this is you need to show momentum. It's not it's not good enough to just show good results, good demand. You've got to show momentum. We saw Airbnb fall down 13% just on the hint of deceleration. And if you were looking for, for a sign where you could almost sort of guarantee further momentum, I would say having exposure to business travel is actually quite a good thing because that's going to continue to recover for, for a longer time period. And actually exposure to Asia um, is going to be a good thing. If you look at why booking were able to say that they're October was better than September, it was because of Asia. So I would be looking for those stocks where you've got business travel recovery, Asia recovery, that's going to give you the ongoing momentum from here. So as we've seen a lot of people during the the pandemic kind of get into the stock market and researching things, how important is technology and innovation going to be for the travel sector? I mean, for me, I generally think think of it as I go somewhere, I sleep there and I keep going. But when we're talking about companies like Booking Holdings and Airbnb, how much uh, is innovation a part of their narrative going forward? Yeah, I, I think an increasing amount. I mean, you've got the sort of uh, the, the distribution technology, and they're going to increasingly be trying to persuade you to use their platform over any other platform. And that's going to be around AI, fintech, those products that are going to be able to properly predict what you're going to what you're going to book. Uh, recommend things. We see Airbnb investing in a lot in a lot of that. On the hotel side, they've got that distribution tech. But I think we're increasingly going to see the new consumers want things like mobile phone door entry. They're going to want choose your own room. They're going to want to be able to control the heating and the lighting and the TV from their mobile phone. And those hotels that haven't invested in that may lose out to those that that, that have. The next consumers will want that further reduction in friction. Yeah, good point. I really like that part, uh, the thing where you can check in with just your phone. You don't have to go to the desk. You don't have to wait for a key. That's actually a really big convenience. Great point there, Richard Clark. Thank you for being here. Have a great Friday. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Countdown to the midterms as candidates enter the final weekend before Americans head to the polls. A preview of where some of the key races stand ahead of Tuesday. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Inflation may be hovering around the highest level in four decades and just kind of pinching consumers. But when it comes to going out, there is no sign of a spending slowdown, at least for now. Pippa Stevens, she joins us, joins us now with much more. Good morning again, Pippa. Hey, Frank. Well, the bulk of restaurant earnings are now behind us. And one key theme that's emerged is resilience. McDonald's, Yum! Brands, Starbucks and Restaurant Brands International among the names beating same store sales estimates. And this comes even as companies raise menu prices in an effort to offset other expenses. So essentially, consumers are still eating away from home. But there are some cracks beginning to emerge. McDonald's CEO saying looking forward, their base case is a mild to moderate recession in the U.S., 
with a potentially deeper and longer one in Europe. Executives from Starbucks, Papa John's and Brinker International have all pointed to a challenging macroeconomic environment. And we're also seeing some evidence of trade down as pinched consumers opt for cheaper restaurants and less expensive menu items. Chipotle saying they're seeing the lower income consumer further reduce frequency. While Olive Garden parent Darden noted inflation remains a headwind for consumers, particularly those making less than $50,000 per year. So, Frank, the bottom line is that there's strong demand for now, but really a lot of questions around whether that will hold. Yeah, a lot of questions, certainly. Uh, Pippa, part of the price hikes is thanks to elevated commodity and labor costs. Have we gotten any indication around whether those costs are easing? Yeah, so commodity and labor have been a major headwind for restaurants. And we did see signs that some of those commodity prices were starting to ease on a year-over-year basis. Although the narrative uh, during, you know, Q3 earnings calls has shifted a little bit. And executives are warning that the environment remains very uncertain, particularly around commodities like beef prices. Those had come down, but now there are signs that those might be heading higher once again. And so it seems like executives are reluctant to give any type of specific commentary. But one area, Frank, that really is now starting to impact restaurants as well is utility costs. We heard this from Cheesecake Factory, McDonald's, and others that those elevated energy costs are now eating into their margins. And with gas prices staying high, especially over in Europe, that is certainly something to watch for the companies that have exposure in Europe, like a McDonald's. All right, Pippa Stevens, great job covering restaurant earnings. Thanks for that report. All right, now turn our attention over to Washington and the final push ahead of Tuesday's midterm elections. Candidates and their high-profile allies are set to spend the weekend hitting the trail, making their closing arguments to try and sway voters in the fight for control of Congress. NBC's Drew Petromo, he joins us now from Washington with much more on the story. Good morning, Drew. Well, good morning, Frank. This weekend will produce a flurry of activity on the campaign trail. Candidates crisscrossing their states and big names sprinting from one rally to another. For President Trump back on the campaign trail Thursday night in Iowa. This Tuesday, you must vote Republican in a giant red wave. The former president falsely claiming he won the 2020 election and teasing another presidential bid in 2024. I ran twice. I won twice. I will very, very, very probably do it again. Okay? Very, very, very probably. President Biden in California warning that Trump and his hand-picked candidates are a threat to democracy. We're going into an election and you have all these people saying they don't accept the outcome of the last one and they're not guaranteeing they'll accept the outcome of this one. It's the central theme of the Democrats' campaign, along with their support for abortion rights. Democratic candidates driving the message home against their Republican opponents. Look, I think Doug Mastriano is by far the most dangerous and extreme candidate in the nation, you know, wants to criminalize abortion. For Republicans, it's crime and the economy, and they think that message could lead them to victory, even in some deep blue states. Here in New York, people want to feel safe on the streets. They want the attacks on their wallets uh, to end. Polls show neck and neck battles in key Senate races across the country, and that's drawing out each party's heavy hitters. In addition to Biden and Trump, former President Obama also hitting the campaign trail, making a final pitch to voters before the results are tallied on Tuesday. Overnight, a high-profile endorsement in one of the most closely watched Senate races in the country in Pennsylvania. Oprah Winfrey throwing her support behind the Democrat in the race, John Fetterman. Reporting from Washington, I'm Drew Petromo. Frank, back to you. All right, Drew, thanks for that report. Thank you again. 
All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Another tech giant pivoting its hiring practices as the sector continues to face mounting headwinds. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Stocks looking at a losing week on the back of a continued post-Fed sell-off. Futures, though, they're higher at the open. Top of investors' radar today, the monthly jobs report, and the insight it may hold into the central bank's rate hike policy path going forward. And companies hitting pause on their ad spending on Twitter as the company reportedly faces a lawsuit over its mass layoff plans. It is Friday, November the 4th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up on this final trading day of the week. As we mentioned, futures are slightly higher this morning in the green. It looks like right now at this point, and remember, it's pretty early right now. The Dow could open up about 150 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq also higher as well. We also want to check the bond market. A 10-year yield currently above that 4% level that we're always talking about that impacts high-growth stocks and tech right now at 4.125. But almost more importantly here, we're seeing the two-year note at a high that we haven't seen since July of 2007. Something to watch as we go on throughout the day. We're also taking a look at energy. WTI trading above 90 bucks a barrel this morning at 90 bucks and 50 cents, up more than two and a half percent. Brent crude at 96 bucks a barrel, up almost two and a half percent. And now we want to get a check on your morning's top stories. Our Pippa Stevens, she's here with those. You're doing everything this morning, Pippa. <laughs> well, as Restaurants are you, and headlines. <laughs> All right, kicking things off here. Elon Musk formally kicking off a highly anticipated series of layoffs. One week after completing his $44 billion deal for the social media platform. In an email obtained by NBC News, Twitter employees were informed the job cuts would begin today. And Bloomberg is reporting Twitter is now facing a lawsuit by employees over the layoffs. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal is reporting General Mills, Mondelez, Pfizer and Volkswagen's Audi brand are the latest companies to temporarily pause their advertising on Twitter in the wake of Musk's takeover. And Apple is reportedly pivoting its hiring practices amid growing slowdown concerns. According to Bloomberg, last month, Apple paused hiring for many jobs outside of research and development. Last week, CEO Tim Cook told CNBC the company had slowed the pace of its hiring with a focus on hiring deliberately. And Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is defending the Biden administration's plan to restrict American companies and citizens from helping China make semiconductors. Speaking with Jim Cramer last night, Raimondo stressed the move is all about American interests. We have to protect the American people against China, period, full stop. China has become more aggressive in what they call their military civil fusion strategy, which is essentially fancy talk for buying our sophisticated chips, which are supposedly for commercial purposes, and putting them into military equipment to advance their military. The secretary added the U.S. needs to double the amount of people working in the semi-industry, roughly about 300,000 right now over the next five to 10 years. Frank. All right, Pippa Stevens, thank you for that. All right, turning our attention back to this morning's top story in the countdown to the October jobs report out in just about three hours from now. It comes just two days after the Fed boosted interest rates by 75 basis points for the fourth time in a row, noting that its tightening cycle is far from over, citing still red-height inflation and a very resilient jobs market. Economists surveyed by FactSet expecting that employers hired 205,000 people last month compared with 263,000 new hires in September. That employment rate likely ha- is likely held steady at 3.5 percent. Joining me now is Wells Fargo senior economist Sarah House. 
Good morning, Sarah. Morning, Frank. All right. Great to have you here. So we're looking at these numbers. Uh, the forecast is for strong job growth and unemployment to basically stay the same at three and a half percent. But a lot of people think the real metric here is wage growth, something that definitely or at least we believe factors into the Fed's decision for rate hikes. What are you expecting when it comes to wage growth? Yeah, so we're looking for another gain of 0.3% in terms of average hourly earnings. So that would push the year-over-year rate down, but you're also looking at an annualized rate of around 3.6%. So that's starting to look a little bit more comfortable for the Fed when you think about just the overall trend in productivity, but still noticeably above what we saw in, in the last cycle. And I think as we heard Chair Powell say in his press conferences, he's not necessarily convinced that we've seen a material slowdown, especially when you look at the overall type state of the jobs market that that we still have. So you mentioned the job market is tight. I I believe the last estimate was about 10 million openings right now. Um, Are we expecting to see those 10 million openings, that number stay the same? Because we're hearing about layoffs at so many companies. Um, Twitter is one example. That might be just a case that's kind of an outlier of what's really going on in the economy. But other companies have said, like Alphabet, they're slowing their hiring. They're being more selective about hiring. Yeah, so overall, we're still looking at a strong labor market in an absolute sense. But I think if you're thinking about the direction, it's clearly weaker. So, you know, you mentioned some specific companies, but we see this in the broader data, too. So things like the small business hiring plans at some of the lowest levels we've seen since early 2021. The fact that you do have job openings coming down on trend over the past few months, decidedly lower since where they were in spring and across a whole host of purchasing manager indices, those employment subcomponents have all have all weakened since earlier this year. So I think the demand is is weakening, but we still haven't seen that increase in, in layoffs. And so I, I think that does suggest that you know, the labor market is by no means falling apart, but we do see growing trepidation on the part of businesses to hire new workers. So expand that employment base, maybe backfill positions. And so that does point to, I think, an overall mo- more moderate trend in, in hiring since those, those new hires are, are half of that net hiring equation, even as you see those layoffs hold steady. Well, Sarah, as we're having this conversation right now, we're seeing futures tick a little bit higher than they were just shortly ago. Um, The general consensus was a good jobs report could potentially be bad for people that want to pause or a pivot. But the market seemed to be rising, even with the thought of the kind of uh, strong job growth and unemployment numbers that we're just talking about, even some some wage growth. Um, What are you expecting to see when it comes to the markets and just the general economy if this is a strong jobs report? How does everybody react to that? Well, I think it depends on some of the composition. So, you know, if you're thinking about this from, you know, fear of the Fed going another 75 in in December or just possibly, you know, sending that potential terminal rate even higher, I think, you know, we probably want to see some moderation in in wage growth, but still very strong job numbers and an increase in labor force participation. So showing that the supply side of the picture is getting better because that's really the benign way out of this high inflation pressures that we're seeing from the labor market. So seeing that wage pressure get tamped down because businesses have more selection in who they hire, but still seeing a lot of workers added to the payrolls, supporting overall consumer spending. All right. I know you're also looking ahead to Tuesday to the JOLTS report. What are you expecting from that? Well, we saw the JOLTS report earlier this week, and what it showed is that some bounce back in terms of the, the overall openings. But again, the trend is is certainly lower. So this is a pretty volatile measure here over um over, you know, month to month basis. But I think, you know, we've seen in in broad range of indicators demand for new hires weakening. So we see this in the Indeed job postings as well. And so I think all of that's consistent with a moderation in, in job growth ahead. 
All right, Sarah House, thank you for being here. We appreciate the insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more of your morning's big money movers, including shares of Starbucks taking off on earnings. But can the coffee giant and other eateries continue to buck the headwinds of inflation? Good question. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. All right, time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning. First up, Atlassian. Shares of the software company are tumbling after third quarter earnings and revenue miss forecasts. Management says they're seeing signs of economic weakness taking hold, tracking slower conversions from free to paid subscriptions, and slower growth from paying customers. Shares down 22% this morning. Stock two, PayPal. Third quarter results beating forecasts on continued strength at its PayPal and Venmo businesses. But shares are falling as the company is cutting its revenue guidance for the year separately. PayPal is adding Apple's touch to pay technology to its payments at payment apps. Shares are down 7% this morning. Stock 3 is Coinbase. The crypto exchange posting its third straight unprofitable quarter amid the rout in the market. Sales also missing forecasts. But shares are rallying as Coinbase retained users and costs came in lower than expected. Shares up more than 8%. And let's wrap things up with Starbucks. Fourth quarter earnings and revenue topping forecast as customers continue to spend more on pricey drinks, such as iced coffee and pumpkin spice lattes. The company says U.S. traffic has nearly bounced back to pre-pandemic levels outside the U.S. COVID lockdowns in China, they continue to weigh on international sales. And Starbucks CFO will be on Squawk Box in a first on CNBC interview at 8.50 a.m. Eastern. All right, let's talk more about Starbucks and some other names in the restaurant space with Sarah Senator, Senior Research Analyst at Bank of America. Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So let's kind of start where we just ended, talking a bit about Starbucks. Your CFO is going to be on Squawk Box later today. Um, where do you, what's your rating for Starbucks? How do you see its outlook going forward? We have a buy on, on Starbucks, and we think that Starbucks has a lot of opportunities going forward. So specifically within the U.S., you can see that the theme store sales, which is the, probably the, the best measure of, of brand health and underlying demand, uh, is one of the best numbers that we've seen this quarter. So 11% theme store sales in the U.S., and they're really just getting started with a lot of opportunities they have, whether it's on the demand side, customization, cold, um, and, and some of the loyalty initiatives they have in place or on the uh, production side where they're rolling out a new siren system to really help them speed up the process of making some of these uh, drinks that become much more complex because customers have really taken to the idea of customizing uh, and making a drink really their own. Yeah, you know, much more complex and actually much more expensive. Anytime you go to somebody with Starbucks, you know, they want to put this in there and put that in there. The drinks are more expensive. I would imagine that'd be a high. All those ads are higher margin for Starbucks. But the real question is, is Starbucks inflation proof? Are, are the restaurant uh, names and stocks we're talking about, are those inflation proof going forward as we see inflation and just consumers wallets tightening a bit? Yeah, I think well. Couple things there. First, in terms of Starbucks, how much price uh, they've taken in terms of how much higher prices are this year versus last, they're actually relatively modest. I mean, all things like I said are relative. We've seen you know eight nine percent inflation in in the restaurant uh, CPI index. So uh, you know the fact that Starbucks price increases are in the sort of five six percent range really means that it's been a price laggard to some extent. Uh, and then the other thing I think that that we've observed is that you know, customers are uh, aren't expressing any real price resistance to Starbucks. We've seen some evidence of check management uh, among other concepts, but Starbucks again has continued to see this uh, you know this adoption of, of customization. And uh, to your point, these do uh, you know. These do cost more to do, but they really make the drink 
uh, very special and very specific to the customer. And that, uh, you know, really means that that, that customer cannot get the uh, that kind of beverage anyplace else. So we have not seen customers really back away from their ordering. Like I said, not only were, uh, you know, same store sales among the best in the industry, but we are actually seeing positive uh, transaction growth, which is not something that most other restaurants are seeing right now. Uh, and their and their transactions have nearly fully recovered uh, trans- transactions per store per day uh, to pre-COVID levels, despite the fact that, as we know, not all of our behaviors, you know, whether it's work from home part of the time or, or something else, have fully returned to what they were pre-COVID. Yeah, so not I think fully. It's a real testament. Yeah, not fully, Sarah. So one question I have for you. You mentioned that a lot of companies aren't seeing, um, you know, the ability to for sales to increase right now. Um, one exception to that certainly was McDonald's, a uh, double-digit increase when it came to uh, orders or, I, I don't know, I guess the sales per customer. I'm trying to think of the right term for the restaurant industry, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Double-digit increase there. So is the idea here that people are willing to pay, I guess, for, you know, middle-class luxury, things like a, a Starbucks coffee or, you know, taking your kids to McDonald's as opposed to other higher-end sit-down restaurants? So I think um, a couple of things. So to your point, you know, in some of their markets, McDonald's has seen double-digit increases in same-store sales. Um, those are more outside the U.S. More recently, McDonald's in the U.S. six percent, very, uh, very respectable. Uh, they do, you know, they do have about ten percent price increase. It's not a menu. So again, as we're talking about, you know, no, no business has been immune to inflation and having to uh, pass that uh, on to some extent to customers. So. I think to your point, what we are still seeing in the U.S. is a real desire to, you know, enjoy going out to eat. So this idea of, of spending more on services and perhaps a little less on goods, uh, the idea of reclaiming some of those lost occasions from, uh, you know, from that we saw during lockdown. And McDonald's has, however, seen a bit more check management, uh, for example, than Starbucks. So, you know, like I said, there are some companies out there for whom, uh, especially lower income consumers, are, are doing what they can to maybe still enjoy those occasions, but at a slightly lower cost than, uh, than, than before because they are under pressure from inflationary uh, you know, uh, pressures on some of the necessities that they're consuming, whether it's gas or food at home. All right, Sarah Senator, we appreciate the insight into the restaurant sector. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, time now for your weekly look at the biggest insider buys by company executives. Our Brian Sullivan has more on that. Well, earnings season is almost over, and that means the Friday insider buying segment is back. We highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by company insiders. These aren't stock buybacks. These are execs with their own money buying their own stocks. And the info comes with our thanks, as always, to Verity Data. And as always, we are counting you down five to one, fifth to first most insider buying. All right, here we go. Stock number five, Tenant Healthcare. The CFO flips and buys 473000 worth. We say flips because he was a seller back in March of last year. The fourth most insider buying this week is at the Bancorp. That's its name, TBBK, a $585,000 buy by a board member. By the way, Verity notes, this is a 23-year veteran of the company. It's his 16th insider buy, but it is bigger than all the other 15 combined. That is a stock to watch. Number three, Allegion, A-L-L-E, the CEO making his first insider buy since coming on board in July. He picked up $1.3 million worth. That is the largest insider buy ever at the security products company. Now to the top two insider buys of the week, and they are both big names. 
Second biggest buy, Coca-Cola, a $1.99 million buy by board member Herbert Allen III. And yes, this is the same Allen that helps run the Allen and Company Investment Bank, known for their big media conference. And the top insider buy of the week is at Mobileye Global, a $10 million buy by the CEO, which leads a group of insiders who bought all the company's recent IPO. Remember, spun out. Chairman also bought in that time. So there you go. The five names this week, Tenant Healthcare, The Bank Corp, Allegion, Coca-Cola, and Mobileye. And a reminder, we do this almost every Friday, of course, except right in the heart of earnings season when there are certain blackout periods. And it's a segment right now you'll only see on WEX or on CNBC Pro. And if you haven't signed up for CNBC Pro already, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Investors bracing for the monthly jobs report and what it may mean for the Fed's rate hike path going forward. The key factor, your next guest says, is providing markets some relief from the Fed fueled selling. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a look at the day ahead for Wall Street. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern, we get the monthly jobs report, the final one before Tuesday's midterm elections. Also, a number of earnings on tap, including results from Hershey, DraftKings, and Duke Energy. And then on the Fed front, Boston Central Bank President Susan Collins is set to speak today on the heels of this week's FOMC decision. And and the Richmond Fed president will speak exclusively to CNBC, coming up on Squawk on the Street at 10 a.m. Eastern. And coming up in just a few minutes on Squawk Box, Barron Capital Chairman and CEO Ron Barron. He's joining to discuss today's Barron Investment Conference returning to an in-person format. All right, ahead of the jobs report, let's get a check on the futures right now. It's solidly in the green. The Dow looks like it could open up almost 150 points higher at this point. The S&P and the Nasdaq also higher. Important to note, with rates up, the Nasdaq up higher than the S&P. Something interesting. We'll have to watch that. All right, we want to now bring in Simeon Hyman, Global Investment Strategist at ProShares Advisors. Simeon, thanks for being here. And you're in person. Talk Indeed. about an in-person format. Great to have you here. It's great to be in person. Thanks for having me. All right, so I think the first question I have to ask you, after what we heard from Jay Powell saying that the ultimate level of rates could be higher than previously expected, has that changed how you manage your portfolio? So first, I don't think he had a choice. You know, the break-even inflations just on the two-year came from 5 down to 2%, but they went up to 3 in October. No choice there. But I think the key is to look for companies that are growing their margins. If you look at the S&P 500 in Q3 earnings season, the rally in October was founded, had a foundation of not disastrous results, just about a 3% bottom line increase year over year. But that was 11% top line, margin shrinking. To give you a counterpoint to that, the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, they're companies that grow their dividends for 25 straight years, at least as a minimum, actually grew their top line 17%, but 26% bottom line. If you can figure out a way to expand margins, even in the face of inflation, that's a safe haven these days. Yeah, I think that's the key anytime, actually, expanding those margins. Um, something I want to ask you about when you when you look at portfolio management um, right now, we're seeing the two year at a high we haven't seen since July of 2007. When you're getting that kind of return on a bond, especially a short bond, does that change the way that you balance? If you look at the yield curve right now, everybody's talking about the inversion. But I think the inversion 
is less about a real bearish long-term view than still a view that the Fed won't stay high that long. You know, back to those break-even inflation numbers. At 3%, if 3% inflation actually persisted for a long time, you could see the 10 years somewhere around 5 um, but the foreign change that we see right now is more of a reflection of the Fed not hanging out at, say, a 5% Fed funds for really that long. Wow. 10-year <laughs> at a 5% yield? What would that do just in general if we see rates get that high on the 10-year? Well, five's not that high historically. Remember not historically, the, but we're used to really low rates. But I think we have to get used to a new normal. So the long-term average for the 10-year bond is two-year real and two-year inflation. Two-year inflation is the Fed target, 2% real. That's what you get when you don't have quantitative easing. We have quantitative tightening. So to get up to five, I don't think is that bearish a sign, again, as long as we have a relatively shallow recession. You know, Simon, you've been one of the people that really on the soapbox about corporate credit and paying attention to it. A lot of people looking at the return you can get on on corporate credit as opposed to the, the volatility of the equities themselves. Are you focusing more on that corporate credit? Well, I think there's a misconception in the market today. You hear a lot of people who suppose and assume that there's a lot of leverage in the system. But that's actually not the case. If you look at the S&P 500, net debt to EBITDA, the most common measure of leverage, is at all-time lows, less than one. That's very low leverage. And if we look at what happened in the month of October, yes, high yield spreads came in, but investment grade spreads didn't move much very, very far at all. So you actually have some decent spread there. You have low leverage. I think that's a real opportunity for corporate credit. All right. Of course, we've got to continue to look ahead to this jobs report. Before we let you go, um, what's the most important metric? Job growth, as we mentioned, is going to be high. Wage growth is going to be a factor. Uh, unemployment, I mean, kind of give me a sense because everybody's kind of with bated breath thinking that a good report might be bad for the pause of the pivot. It's got to be the wage growth number because it's inflation we're worried about. We know that the job market's still snug, but we've had 5% wage growth. That's the sticky thing that stops inflation from coming down. That's the spiral that we saw in the 70s. Look, we don't have unions to the extent that we had. They shouldn't be as sticky, but that's the number we have to look for. Yeah, also uh, shelter inflation, something else to watch just in general as we go past this jobs report. Uh, Really quick, quick prediction for what we're going to see ahead. We have a sense of what the estimates are from the jobs report. How do you see the market reacting? I think it'll be a modest update. I think we're going to get a little bit of a tick down in that wage growth number, and that's going to give people a little bit of comfort. All right, Simeon Hyman, you are an optimistic spirit, my friend. Thank you for being here. Thanks for the early wake-up call. Talk about an in-person format. Great to have you here. All right, before we let everybody go, we want to take one last look at the futures this morning. Solidly in the green ahead of the October jobs report. Right now, again, we're seeing that the Dow could open up about 150 points higher. The Nasdaq also solidly in the green, even with the 10-year yield well above 4%. Something to watch as we continue. High growth and mega cap tech stocks have been under pressure due to that uh, rate rising Uh, in recent days. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, that's coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.